0: welcome to a third lesson in this series on politics and the believer and i'm very excited about this lesson because it's been a pet peeve of mine Um, i think it's something that needs to be addressed because it's causing a lot of damage and that is the interpretation of romans uh, chapter 13. and um, i'm going to have a lot of scripture because i want to make sure that I give you proof of what I'm saying. I'm not big in you know, just coming up with ideas or regurgitating what other people say. I want to make sure that anything that I teach you is in the Word of God. And if I make a mistake, I tell people I've made a mistake. You can ask our uh, Ecclesia people. I mean, they, they'll tell you. I'll be like, yeah, I made a mistake on that and kind of need to correct it. So uh, this the title of this one is Romans 13 and peaceful non-compliance. This uh, verse 1 in Romans 13 gets quoted quite a bit. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Okay, this verse and how people have interpreted it is one of the best reasons why I say it is the sum of the word that makes truth, not parts of the word. So anytime a part is taken and it becomes a sum, it's pretty much a guarantee there's deception there. So it was during COVID, that I heard this quoted all over the place. More than the 32 years I've been a Christian, everybody is quoting Romans 13.1 as a reason why the church, for the first time in the history of this country, was shut down and shut up, was subjected to mask mandates, and some were even submitting to the so-called vaccine, which I'm not even going to get into that. If you think you need to take a vaccine and it doesn't have um, you know, aborted baby parts in it, more power to you. But we should not be forced to take a vaccine where even our religious rights to refuse are infringed upon, which they weren't. Now, if we take Romans 13, 1 minus the Bible, then I would just say, all right, praise God, I'll see you on the next teaching, and I would walk out. <laughs> but, in this context of submitting to government authorities there's numerous examples in the Bible of the people of God resisting unjust government so that's why it's important to have this son who's right the ones that resisted unjust government in the Bible or the people now that are shutting down their churches because the government said so so which one's right okay before we get into this argument, we need to define the terms, what we're going to do now, and then we'll elaborate on who really has authority in the United States. The first word is governing, from Romans 13.1. It means to, quote, exercise continuous control over someone or something like kings, gover- governors, etc. And please keep in mind, Paul lived under kings. Most of the people in the Bible li- lived under kings and like we do here we have a constitutional republic now the word authorities is quote one who has authority to rule or government and finally or govern and finally subject is to submit to the orders or directives of someone okay so with these terms defined you might think that the pastors who obeyed the federal government and shut down their churches are the right ones but let's go on the word instituted means quote To cause someone to be in a state involving an order or arrangement. It means to place, set, appoint, arrange, order. It's also to possess certain characteristics. So the idea here is that God defined, he set in a proper order, he put boundaries that authorities uh, should, um, or authority, um, should possess certain characteristics. We know that righteousness and justice should be the foundation of authority. Uh, That's the foundation of His throne. Mercy and truth is always before Him, therefore it should always be before our rulers. Uh, Legal and proper authority is based on righteousness, doing things the right way, which is His way, and justice, and authority must keep uh, truth and mercy always before it, or justice, will become perverted. and sanctified mercy uh, can also become a deciding factor, which we see where, well, we should let all these people out of jail because their life is hard. There's a reason they are like they are, blah, blah. No, people go to jail to protect the rest of society. If you want to help people that are in jail, help them while they're in jail. We don't have to have them out in our communities murdering and raping and thieving, etc. But we're seeing where either justice was used harshly or now they're wanting to tear down the fabric of society. By the way, that's a Marxist theology. Uh, And if you don't think Marxism is a religion, just study it. But they believe that chaos, out of chaos comes order. And so if you let people out of jail that are criminals and they do as much chaos as possible or open borders, etc., then people will be more willing to become socialist. Okay, so what is this saying? God defines authority and what that is supposed to look like. Not necessarily the person that's in office. That may not be his will, but the authority, the establishment of the office is his domain. Okay? Now, moving on. Uh, Because I think too many people associate a person, like if a person's in office, they must be God's will. No, that's not the case. But the authority, the office itself is. But who's in it? Not so much, which I'll prove to you. Uh, Romans 13, 2-5 Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will cure judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. He's a servant of God, an avenger who carries out wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Now again, it sounds like it's saying we have to submit to authorities even if they're stupid. Listen to the Passion. Every person must submit and support the authorities over him, for there can be no authority in the universe except by God's appointment, which means that every authority that exists has been instituted by God. So again, the position, the office, the function of authority has been instituted. So to resist authority is to resist the divine order of God, which results in severe consequences. For civil authorities don't intimidate those who are doing good, but those who are doing evil. In other words, the people that are there to enforce the laws go after those that are doing bad, doing evil. So Paul saying, do what is right and you'll never need to fear those in authority. They will commend you for your good citizenship. Those that are in authority are servants for the good of society. But if you break the law, you have reason to be alarmed, for they are God's agents of punishment to bring criminals to justice. Why do you think they carry weapons? You are compelled to obey them not just to avoid judgment or punishment, but because you want to live with a, a clean conscience. Now think about this. Paul wrote this when Nero was the ruler. So obviously there are good and there are bad rulers, and he is saying that those that enforce the laws that punish evildoers uh, are good servants. So that doesn't mean that every law that's made is God's will. It doesn't mean that every ruler that's in place is God's will. These very passages were considered in the founding of our nation, and they defined the role of government. Our founding fathers used these passages. Punish those that are doing evil with weapons and protect the rest of the society. That is the role and the purpose, the dominant one, of the federal government. They are to protect our borders, and they are protect to protect us with military force. Did you know that foreign wars were actually against our Constitution until that was amended? They did not want us out fighting all these foreign wars. And guess what? Now we're fighting them all the time. But what happens if authorities are corrupt and they begin to go after the good people? What then? Or... What if they create laws that directly contradict God's laws? Well, all you have to do is read the book of Kings, first and second, to see what happens to nations when they get corrupt leaders. In fact, judgment on a nation is typically because of immature, corrupt leaders. And so, what Paul wrote is the ideal of governing authorities. If everything is operating smoothly, everything is good, that's what it should look like, but... We obviously don't have that uh, in our nation right now. Okay, so after he says that, Paul then addresses taxes. He says in verse 6-7, through And this is the reason you pay your taxes. For governmental authorities are God's officials who oversee these things. So it's your duty to pay all the taxes and fees that they require and to respect those who are worthy of respect, honoring them accordingly. Hmm, to respect those who are worthy of respect. The word respect means to regard. In other words, if they say to do something, you'll do it. But what do you do when a government goes bad, okay? And by the way, a government that has gone bad is a government that infringes upon your state's rights based, uh, uh, enshrined in your state constitution as well as they begin to violate your inalienable rights Uh, that are enshrined in the Declaration of Independence in the Constitution. In other words, they do stuff against your consent, okay? And, And we saw this get out of control with COVID. That's why it's so irritating when I hear people quote Romans 1 through 3 as a reason to shut down their churches when they have no legal authority to do so. Governor decrees are not laws. If that was the case, we'd have kings. You have to have laws passed. In fact, there was a business here that got fined for staying open, and it was a single mom that if she didn't stay open, she couldn't feed her family. And uh, so she goes before this judge's court, and the judge threw it out because there's no law. There's nothing to support the decree, the mandate of the governor. And a lot of people are like, well, emergency powers. Read what the emergency powers are for in your state constitution. In New Mexico, where I am, they only give the governor more control over money to distribute the funds to the places she needs to or he needs to based on need. That's it. They don't have any rule, any authority, any power to step outside of that and begin to make these decrees where people can't open their business and conduct business. That's actually against the Constitution or your inalienable rights. Remember, your rights don't come from a piece of paper. They come from God. So, what do you do when a government goes bad? Well, with the terms defined, the original intent of God established, let's look at some examples in the response of the people of God. I'm going to summarize the scriptures, but you can say them on, on your own. So, Joseph. The best example is Joseph and Pharaoh of what I'm talking about. After Joseph interpreted the dream, Pharaoh had, um, plus advised Pharaoh on what to do. Pharaoh appointed Joseph as second command over Egypt. When the drought uh, that Pharaoh dreamt of arrived, Egypt became the world's superpower because they were the only ones that had grain. So Joseph's family moved to Egypt. Pharaoh gave them the land of Goshen, and they were very fruitful, and it was a beautiful piece of land. The Israelites prospered and they grew until a new king who, quote, did not know Joseph came into power, and he began to fear the Israelites and how powerful they were, and he was afraid that they would Uh, take over his nation, and they were peaceful. They weren't going to take over any nation, but he was worried about it. So he enslaved them, and that didn't stop them. So then he told the Hebrew midwives, now this is a kingly decree, so by law they're supposed to carry it out to kill all the male uh, newborn children, okay? If if, If that right there was the same mindset that people are saying, Uh, for Romans 13 uh, if if we believed that then like we have now there'd be Christians killing babies and you might think well sure you know you're being you're being awfully you know I mean that's kind of exaggerating really well I mean if you look at the state of the church and how things are I don't know I'm not sure I think I'm exaggerating might be so the midwives feared God instead of the king they refused to abort The babies, listen to their response. The midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanding them, but let the male children live. So God blessed them, blessed the families as well. So then uh, the king commanded all his people to throw every male, uh, Hebrew male into the Nile, um, and God would not let that go. Uh, He planted Moses in Pharaoh's house, the very one that would bring down the judgment or the world's superpower, lived, was literally raised in Pharaoh's house but the midwives practiced peaceful non-compliance. Genesis 41 to Exodus 1 Now Moses, the entire confrontation of Moses against Pharaoh along with the 10 plagues, was resisting unrighteous government to enslavery among his people and birth a nation. Moses is the first abolitionist. That's Exodus 3 through 14. Rahab is another example of peaceful non-compliance. So fast forward to Joshua. He's now the leader of the Israelites and it's time to take the promised land. But before crossing, he sent two men to kind of scout out things, see how things were. Um, he was probably trying to avoid Moses' mistake of sending out 12 spies. So he just sent out two. They lodged with Rahab, who was a prostitute. Now when the king found out, he demanded that she released the spies into custody. But instead of obeying the king, she hid them. And the king hid them and told the king that she didn't know where they were, that they had left by a gate the night before. She then helped them escape Jericho with a promise that her and her family would be saved. Why? Because she had heard what the Lord had done so far. So she practiced peaceful non-compliance. Daniel and his friends, I mean, there's several examples with them. First, started with Babylonians' nutritional program, and you know, the king assigned a daily portion of food to be given to the uh, captured, um, you know, uh, um, good grief, um, young men of uh, Israel. And they were actually made eunuchs, unfortunately, Daniel and his friends. But they determined not to defile themselves with that food, I'm sure it had some unclean meats. So the chief eunuch, um, they told him we'd rather have vegetables, etc. And he was very reluctant because, number one, he had an order from the king. But number two, um, if they did not gain weight and didn't look good, his head could be on the line. But he went ahead and he did what they wanted. And sure enough, it worked out good. Um, Another example is Daniel's friends refused Nebuchadnezzar's law demanding that they worship his uh, image. When Darius became ruler, wicked rulers or leaders persuaded him to create a law that no one could pray to any god but him. And Daniel, of course, continued his peaceful noncompliance and ended up in the lion's den, but he was uh, saved. Um, You know, and what was interesting is when a king in the Persian Empire made a decree, it was unchangeable. So you had to make another law um, in order to... um, Reverse it, so it's very interesting. Sorry about that; my battery died on the uh, recorder. <laughs> now Mordecai is uh, another example of the Medo-Persian um, way of making laws that could not be revoked. In the story of Esther, Mordecai practiced peaceful non-compliance with Haman, which provoked him to wrath. He convinced the king to write a law that would exterminate all the Jews. Uh, once the evil plot was exposed, the king couldn't revoke his law he made another that empowered the Israelites to defend themselves and suddenly no one wanted to fight them. Um, The apostles, the book of Acts is filled with peaceful noncompliance and use of citizenship as an aid to protection. And we see it with Paul all the time. The first instance is right after Paul and John healed the lame uh, beggar, or Peter and John, as Peter preached the kingdom, the priests, the captain of the temple, the same ones that arrested Jesus and crucified him And the Sadducees, they came to see what was going on, and they were mad. So they brought them before the Sanhedrin, and they were like, don't say the name of Jesus. And and Peter's like, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you, or rather to God you judge, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In other words, he's saying, okay, you guys may think it's okay to tell us not to talk about Jesus. We know that that's what we're here to do, so we're going to do it. That's peaceful, noncompliance." compliance. Now, of course, later they were arrested and put in prison and an angel came and said, them free and all of that stuff. Um, but again, when you know, he gets out of prison, Peter, and he's out there preaching again, they bring him again. They're like, we strictly charge you not to teach the name. See, they had authority. They had authority to tell Peter to stop preaching the name of Jesus. And Peter refused. He practiced peaceful noncompliance. And he said, we must obey God rather than man. Okay, Then you have Paul and Silas arrested in Philippi. The Lord sends an earthquake to free them. They remain there. They convert the jailer. Later, they were questioned by the authorities, Um, and Paul basically said, hey, do you have a right to beat a Roman citizen without a trial? And of course, they didn't. So they're like, um, you're a Roman citizen? I bought mine, and Paul's like, I was born a Roman citizen. Oh, oh, we're sorry, we're sorry. And they wanted to ship them off as soon as possible after the apology. And Paul's like, yeah, I'm going to finish what I'm here for. And so that was, again, peaceful noncompliance. And Paul using his rights as a Roman citizen to protect himself. So the antagonist in all of these stories is unrighteous government and unrighteous religious leaders. Some laws are no laws in front of God. And some rulers are no rulers to God in Hosea 8 4 it says they made kings but not through me they set up princes but I knew it not with their silver and gold they made idols for their own destruction did you hear that this idea that whoever's in uh, power is God's will was just blown out of the water by that verse 1st uh, Samuel 8 5 he said behold you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations the people wanted a king, and they got their own king, while God can finished completing David for his purpose. And then verses, uh, uh, 1 Samuel 8, 18, and then that was verse 5, it says, In the day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. Okay, so again, there is the ability to choose our own rulers, even rulers that are not God's will. Now, later we're going to get into voting and why it's so important for us to vote, but you can see from these three uh, verses that it is possible to install leaders that are not God's choice. We must be aware of Christian Buddhists who think that whatever is, is. Now going back to the shutdowns, the mask mandates and more, it's important to realize we don't live under kings. Therefore mandates and decrees are not laws in this country that we must obey. Now they carry no legal authority however if you decide to stand up against them you might find yourself in jail and you might find yourself in a court of law because not everybody agrees with what i'm saying although it's very much enshrined in our documents but let me specifically provide you a verse that is in opposition to church shutdowns hebrews 10:25. do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. The word assembling is not referring to a solitary or occasional act, but as customary conduct. That's in the Greek. So whom are we to obey? God or man? The church has more legal precedent precedent in this country than the federal government has. In fact, it was a church that helped form many of the states, write their Constitution or their Bill of Rights, and the Revolutionary War started on the church lawn of Jonas Clark when 70 of his congregation confronted the British who opened fire on them, which takes me to the next point. Who actually has more authority in America, the people or the government? But, I mean, I can't gloss over this. Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And that word assembling is... Not a solitary or occasional act, but customary conduct. We were supposed to stay open. We were supposed to keep going. Now they've shut us down once. They'll try to do it again. Guarantee it. So the true source of authority in America. What exactly makes a government just here? Well, it's by the consent of the people. Because it was the people that formed the colonies that later turned into states. So a simple examination of the formation of the 13 colonies reveals a pattern of those who came over from Europe would establish a government structure that included a constitution and or a bill of rights to protect the right of the people in that state. All of them included religious rights. You'll also find most often it was either clergy that created these documents and governments and clergy working together to do so. Now listen to the Declaration of Independence. This is a unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires They should declare the causes which impel them to the separation." This is, what's happening here is it's peaceful on compliance that Britain didn't want to take, and so we ended up in a war. But what they're saying is there comes a point where you have to separate yourself from a government because it's so wicked and oppressive, but it requires you to tell the reasons why. You can't just separate yourself from a government because you feel like it. You have to tell that government why then it says we hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights among these are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness now these are just three that are listed because they said among these are these three that to secure these rights governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That's where the power of governments come from, our consent. That's why the voting in the last election. I mean, there's so much stuff that is threatening this country, by our own lawmakers, our own government officials. It's really sad, but the purpose of these doc, uh, uh, documents and governments are to secure these rights, and they derive their powers from our consent that when, whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute a new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. It's a power pact right there. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions do contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And, for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortune, and our sacred honor. Which they did. Many of them died. The people instituted the governments in this country to secure our inalienable rights. No state or federal constitution gives us those rights. God gave us our rights. Therefore, they can't take them away. We, the people, create the states. Therefore, we, the people, are the true authority of the states. The people is greater than the states. The states is greater than the federal government. The federal government should be the smallest form of government in this country. After the Revolutionary War, the Founding Fathers recognized that we had to unite as states to protect ourselves and to secure our posterity. So at that time, you know, we joined together to fight a common enemy. But now we're independent, we're separate from each other, we have peace. But we knew we had to join together under a common union because we had to be protected against outside enemies but the states were very very reluctant uh, to create a federal government because they saw what went on in england so the founding fathers set to work on the constitution of the united states of america here's the beginning of it okay we the people of the united states in order to form a more perfect union establish justice and ensure domestic tranquility tranquility Provide for the common defense and promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our prosperity do ordain and establish this constitution Constitution of the United States of America. So we the people, okay? Now, what's the responsibility of the government? To form a more perfect union, based on Matthew twelve twenty five, to establish justice based on Romans thirteen. Ensure domestic tranquility based on first Timothy two, one through three. Provide for the common defense based on Romans 13. Promote the general we- welfare of the, the citizens, not welfare handouts, the general we- welfare that's in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3, and secure the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our children. Man, that was brilliant. But we've forgotten these things. It used to be taught until I think um, 18... It might have been 1860-something, 1850-something. The Constitution wasn't taught to the degree that it was before. In fact, a lot of lawyers don't even know what the Constitution says. They don't teach it. Now, most of the structure of our Bill of Rights and our Constitution were from preachers and sermons that were taught back then. These are the six things that are the responsibility of the government. Not political speech, not suppressing it, not telling us we have to get a vaccine, none of that, none of that was their right. In order to pass this constitution, they needed nine states to ratify, which means express consent. So remember, an unjust government does things that are against the consent of the people or without the consent of the people. Just governments do things with the consent of the people. So they had to have nine out of 13 colonies ratify or give consent, but several only consented. With the express demand for the Bill of Rights that clarified some of the things in the Constitution. So Let me um, quote you Amendment 10. The powers not delegated by the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. This is the idea of states rights. But here's what's key. The states created the federal government and the states were created by the people. The states have more authority than the federal government, okay? So this is this is so important. We've got it out of order. The federal government is severely limited in its power for a reason. And because we don't know that, we're seeing the effects of letting them run hog wild and however they want to. The states were limited in their powers by the people. And so what happened? Well, our founding documents and history this is the first what happened. People quit teaching it. People quit learning it. People quit telling people what their rights were. Second came states that were refusing to say no to the federal government because of money. If you don't do what we want, we won't give you this money. And so they quit um, saying no to the federal government. And third, people are not demanding that their state elected officials live by their own state constitution and the United States Constitution. So over many decades, we've lost more and more of our individual rights, which now has put us in a very precarious state. Urgent education, which is why I've done this series, is uh, crucial in this day and hour. Share this. Send it to as many people as you can, especially this one teaching right here. It is going to take believers to save this country. A just government is the consent of the people. As believers, we must ask, are they ruling justly according to the state constitution? If not, we need to peacefully non-comply. The sheriff is key. Every county in the nation has, must have a constitutional sheriff because just as the constitution is the highest law of the land, the sheriff is the highest law enforcement of the land and has more authority than the president, any governor, etc. because the sheriff is elected by the people. So that's why it's so important to make sure that we elect a sheriff that is a constitutional sheriff that will protect us based on the Constitution and not violate our rights. The answer to our dilemma in reversing what's happening in this country lies in our local, county, and state governments, because that's where the real authority and power are located. We've been way too distracted with federal elections for decades, and we've almost lost this country. Urgent education, peaceful noncompliance, active engagement in local, county, and state elections, including running for office and electing constitutional sheriffs, will turn this country back around. Elect leaders that support the Constitution and get out of office those that don't. It only takes 3.5% of a population to change things through peaceful noncompliance.